Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Exodus chapter number 20, Exodus chapter 20 this evening. And uh, we began, uh, I suppose, at the end of November and maybe the very beginning of December, uh, Exodus chapter number 20. We gave several reasons on that service for why the Ten Commandments matter to you and to me, why they should matter to us even today. And uh, we did that in preparation of taking the beginning part of this year on Sunday evening and examining the Ten Commandments, their relevancy for you, for me, for us, and for our living. And I think it'll be a a, a wonderful study. It'll probably get us through uh, the middle of March, Lord willing. And then uh, after that, we'll probably finish up the book of Exodus. And I hope to, uh, by the summertime, to be jumping into a study uh, in the book of Revelation. I've had several people ask me about doing a study through or in Revelation regarding end times. And so we'll do that. How many of you have an interest in that? Let me see. And uh, how many of you are ready for it? You think it could happen even right now, right? I mean, it's, me too. So uh, it'll be a fun study. And I can promise you this about whatever that study is. I don't have all the answers, all right? So, so don't, don't come expecting that way, but there are some wonderful things to look at, at that, and in terms of that. So we'll spend our summer, I believe, we'll spend our summer uh, in that capacity, so it'll be a fun time. But for now, the beginning part of this year, we're going to uh, tackle the Ten Commandments. If you found your place, and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Exodus chapter number 20, and we're gonna re- we'll read the first three verses. But verse number three is the first commandment. So I want you, when we get to that verse, I want you to read that with me. Can we try that? All right. Now, I had corporate reading happening on Wednesday night. How many of you were here for that? Let me see. And it was not very good. The corporate reading sounded like this. Okay. So let's try. Let's try a little bit better. When we get to verse 3, the first commandment, all right? So I'll start us off, verse number 1. And God spake all these words. Do you remember what we said in the, the beginning part of November, end of December? The Ten Commandments matter. Why? Because they're from God Himself, right? God spake these. It wasn't from Moses. It wasn't Moses' idea. These are from God. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Okay, so so look here. Before he gives them the commandments, he's reminding them of everything that he's done for them. How many of you remember the way that God delivered them from Egypt? Remember, he delivered them with a strong hand. The frogs, the flies, the gnats, the lice, the blackness, the darkness. How many remember all that? Remember what went through all the, those signs and wonders they're called? We call them plagues. But those signs and wonders, how many remember that? God delivered his children. He brought them to himself. He showed up. He said, I am your God. You are my people. Pharaoh, they belong to me. They don't belong to you. Let them go. They belong to him. So verse number one 
And verse number two is God reminding the children of Israel of how they belong to him. They are already his. Salvation has been bought. It's been purchased. The Red Sea has been crossed. They're free, no longer slaves, no longer in Egypt. All of those images matter. Those are very important images. Because everything he tells them from this point forward is based on the understanding that he has redeemed them to himself. So the Ten Commandments are not, if you obey the Ten Commandments, I'll set you free from slavery. That's not the Ten Commandments. That's, that's false religion. Obey the Ten Commandments, get a relationship with God. That is false religion. Okay? Christianity is God shows himself strong, God flexes his muscles, God delivers his people, God gives grace, God shows love, God gives mercy, God delivers us, redeems us, saves us, buys us, frees us to himself. And then as a result of that, man, now we obey him. How many of you understand where we're at? You got that? You got to nod. You got to stay with me this, this evening. You got to nod your head. All right. You got to make sure you're awake. Okay, so I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember all the things I did for you. Out of the house of bondage. So now he's going to give us the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one. You read it with me? Verse number three. Let's read. Thou shalt have no other gods. Let's read it again. Ready? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Father, use this very first commandment to help us understand, Father, what it is you expect from us, how it is we relate to you, the purposes that you have in and for our lives. Father, and I pray that we would, Father, be found faithful to living in the way in which you desire us, your people, to live. And in Jesus' name we pray, and all the church said together, amen. Three ideas tonight. You have a handout so you can follow along with us. I want you to make sure that you take good notes so you can refer back to it. I think we'll find our study in the Ten Commandments very beneficial. Three ideas. Number one, the very first commandment teaches us what? The very first commandment teaches us what? It teaches us three things. First, it teaches us that God is to be worshipped exclusively. It teaches us this, that God is to be worshipped exclusively. That in order to obey the very first commandment, that God must be worshipped, but God must be worshipped exclusively. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And God is not saying, well, there, there are a lot of gods out there, and I, and I hope that you choose me. I want to be one on your list of many, okay? I want to be number one, and then you've got like a close number two, you've got a close number three, or, you know, a, a one that's a little farther down, number four. God is not saying that, right? He's saying, he's not saying, there are a lot of gods out there, and I want you to choose me to be one of the several gods of which you serve, of which you follow. I'm okay with you having all these other go gods and serving them and letting me be one of, 
of many. This is sometimes referred to as one of two things. You've probably heard one of these words before, but many of you would, would, would recognize the term polytheism. Right? Polytheism is simply the worship of many gods, right? Okay, you will find it. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, Jehovah God, Jesus, he's one God, and then you know, Buddha is another God, and then Muhammad leads us and teaches us a, about another God, Allah, and then there's all these other little gods, and they all, they're all just revelations, divine understandings. They're all these, all of them teaching us something different about the one God over all of it, but the, all gods lead to the same place. And it, what the very first commandment helps us to understand is that is not the case. This is not polytheism. This is not henotheism. Henotheism is there are many gods, but I choose to see my God as the right way. You can choose to see your God as your own way. That is not what this verse is saying. In fact, that is not taught in the Bible at all. Nowhere in the Bible is the idea that there are many gods, there are all kinds of competing gods, there's this cosmic divine battle where all these gods are, are warring it out one against the other in a hopes that good overcomes evil and that we as mortals have this kind of cosmic role to play in choosing which God wins at what time. That is nowhere in the Bible. But this is in the Bible. There is one God and only one God, and he can be understood as Yahweh or Jehovah in the Old Testament. He's understood in the New Testament as Jesus Christ, and he's understood for us in the church age through and by the Holy Spirit as revealed, as he reveals his us. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 4, down to verse number 6, gives us more understanding on this. Listen to as Paul writes, and Paul says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things which are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods many and lords many. But to us, there is but one God, the Father, of whom all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So you, you Paul just said, Paul just said the same thing. There's, there's not all kinds of gods as might be understood throughout the world. All kinds of lords. All kinds of avenues to God. No, no, no. There is one God. And we understand him as he's revealed himself to us in the Bible. So there are not all these so-called gods. There's, they don't have any existence at all. There is one God and only one God. And he reveals himself to us in his word called the Bible. All throughout the Bible, you will see this. Actually, you'll really see this after we get past the Ten Commandments in our study in Exodus, that God's people must constantly and continually reject the idea that there is this both-and approach to spirituality. As it relates to our relationship with God, understanding who God is, what God has done, the plan that God 
has for us and even serving Him, understanding our relationship with God. We must be a people who reject the idea of both and. The message of the Bible is not a both and when it comes to understanding God. The message of the Bible is an either or. It's not a both and. It's an either or. Are you, are you tracking me? You understand what I mean there? It's not both and. Well, you can have it this way. You can have it that way. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Maybe your way is right. Maybe my way is right. But in the end, we all get to the same place as long as we have faith. No, 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 no. The, the message of the Bible calls us as God's people to reject that sort of idea. It's not a both and. It's an either or. If God be God, then serve him. And if God is not God, and if Baal is God, well then go and serve Baal because we're wasting our time. How many of you remember that from the Old Testament with Joshua, right? It is not an either or call. It is, a, it, it, it is not an either or. It, or it is an either or. It is not a both and. Think about the very first verse in the Bible. Most of us are so familiar with Genesis chapter 1 that almost... Um, it's the, the nature of which it is very striking almost doesn't even fall onto our ears. But listen, the very beginning of the verse, the number one verse in the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. They're not, not plural form of gods. There weren't multiple gods existing in the beginning. There was not some sort of epic battle. This is the way most religions begin. There's some sort of cosmic battle between these two cosmic deities, and the earth is spun out of that chaos, this divine war, and now we have this existence. No, no, no. From the very beginning, it was one god, only one God. He is the only God. It is the way that God wants us to understand our relationship with Him. Monotheism is what we believe in, that we serve, that we follow. We believe that there is only one God. Here's what one author says. He says, it's not just the first commandment. It's actually the Bible's first thought. The, the first commandment establishes our understanding of a biblical faith that our biblical faith is an either or proposition, not a both and proposition. And wasn't this the default of the children of Israel? The default position of the children of Israel is it's not that they did not want anything to do with Yahweh. It's not that they didn't want anything to do with Jehovah God. It's not that they didn't want anything to do with God. It's that they wanted God, and they wanted Baal, and they wanted Dagon, and they wanted all the gods of the Canaanites. They wanted all of them to be their lucky rabbit's foot at different seasons, at different times, whenever they needed God to serve whatever purpose they've had. And in fact, that's actually what they're worshiping in Egypt. You had the God of the Nile. You had the God of the grain. You had the God of the moon. You had the God of the sun. You had the God of the water. And you have to appease all these different gods in order to get all these things to work for your advantage or in your way. So that way you can't make any God mad and you can just cross your fingers and hope in the end you don't upset the wrong God at the wrong time. Listen to it again. Verse number three. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't even 
bring them into my presence. That's what he's saying. Because there are no other gods. I am the only God. Worship God, number one. Worship God exclusively. And here's the issue with that. Modern people, when, when we say things like that, modern people go, well, that is so narrow-minded. Well, that is, that is so intolerant. That is so cruel and unfair. Because marriage, marriage is a great analogy for this, right? Marriage is a great analogy for this. Because in marriage, what are you committing yourself to? You're committing yourself to one person, right? Till death do us part. These are the, these are the vows. Till death do us part. Forsaking all others, I promise to keep myself only for him, only for her, so long as I live. And when we give our marriage vows, there's no bride, there's no groom at the marriage vows, at the marriage ceremony that goes, oh my goodness, that's so intolerant. Oh my word, it's so exclusive. Oh my goodness, that's so narrow-minded, right? Just, just think of how this relates in your marriage. If your husband or your wife brought another husband or wife home. Hello, honey. This is, this is wife number two. I want to introduce you to her. We've had a good relationship. You guys don't know each other yet, but I want you to meet each other. Get along. And I have, I'm trying to choose which one of you I like more, whichever one makes me my meals better, cleans the house better, does the dishes better, serves me brownies better than I'm going to pick. You guys are in a competition. Just think of how that works out for you, right? Probably after you pick yourself up off the floor, she's going to say what? You choose. It's either me or her. It's either me or him. It's, you, there's, there's no... There's no, e there's no both and in this situation. There's an either or in this situation, right? And when it comes to marriage, no one says, oh my goodness, how intolerant. Oh my goodness, I can't even believe it. Oh my word, so narrow-minded all these people just wanting their husbands to be faithful to them alone. Oh my goodness, such, such narrow-mindedness. That's ancient stuff. No one says that in marriage. Everyone who talks about marriage says, no, you're married to him. It's wrong for you to have any relationship with anyone else. You're married to her. It's wrong for you to have any relationship with anyone else. And that, when it comes to our understanding of our relationship with God, for whatever reason, we approach that relationship and go, but that's just narrow-minded for God to say we can only worship him. Well, that's just intolerant of God to say that. And it, 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 what it really reveals is it reveals the wickedness of our own hearts, doesn't it? It, re, it reveals the selfishness of our own ways. Deuteronomy chapter 6, number, verse number 4, 5, and 6, with a very, very famous verses, but here's how they start. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. I'm saying the same thing here. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This, this is the decision that you and I must make. This is the decision that you and I must choose. One author puts it this way about the very first commandment. He says you are choosing to love the Lord your God because He is your God. To love means 
to stick to your choice. Isn't that a great idea? To love means to stick to your choice. You're choosing to love the Lord your God and then to stick to the choice that you made. You choose to follow, serve, worship, obey, go after God because God first loved you. And because God first loved you, now, forsaking all others, commit yourself only to Him unreservedly so long as you have life left on this earth. Cannot there can be no and in your relationship with God. Say it with me again, the very first commandment, verse number three, if you need some help, look at it with me. Ready, let's read. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number one, worship God exclusively. How do we obey the first commandment? Number one, we worship God exclusively. Number two, we shun idolatry. Number two, how do we fulfill the first commandment? Worship God exclusively. Number two, shun idolatry. Now, when someone uses the word idolatry or when someone starts using the word idols or idol, you probably start to think of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? And the, the whip and the six-shooter, and you got to place the, the weight on the thing, or the rock's going to come chasing you, right? We think of like wooden creatures, don't we? We think of these little wooden golden statues, something made out of stone or brick or, or wood or, or, or whatever, precious metal, right? We think of idols. And there, there can be something in our mind, when, as soon as we hear things like, shun idolatry, there can be something in our mind where we start to think, well, well I'm good then. I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any idols. I've got some bobbleheads in my office, but I don't have any idols in my office, right? We don't, we don't worship idols in, in that form or with that sense. We're foolish to think that this is the only way that we have idols. We're foolish to think that idols are only things made with man's Hands. Idolatry far extends beyond something that's just made. Idolatry starts out to be something that's unbelievably innocent, but in the end is overwhelmingly destructive. It was, there, there are several reasons why, why you would, why in the ancient times, why you would want an idol. There's several things why the, the children of Israel would have chosen them. I think you have a list for you. I think. Maybe four points, maybe five points. A couple of reasons why you would choose an idol in the Old Testament. Let me give them to you. Here they are. You have number one, because it was guaranteed. Right? It was a guarantee. It was an easy format. It was a very simple equation to follow. One plus one equals two. You do this, give the God that, pray this, say that. Now this God has to make the sun come up. Now this God has to make the plants grow. Now this God has to make... Right? It's a very simple, easy formula. If you said the right words, you prayed the right incantation, if you had the right meditation, then God had to do whatever it is that you said or did because, man, you said the right, you said the right formula. It was guaranteed. Number two, it was selfish. It was selfish. 
In the ancient world, the gods, they need from the humans. Right? What do the gods need? E even today, people serve gods. They serve these gods, or so-called, as Paul would say. They serve them in this way. Right? Buddha needs something from us. Right? These, these gods need this bowl of rice from us. I mean, he's a god. He's going to solve all my problems, but he's a little bit hungry. So I need to bring him something to eat right now, right? He has all the answers to life's greatest problems except how to get himself something to eat. So I'm going to give him food. And if I feed him now, aha, I got this God where I want him. God needs me in order to fulfill this. And by the way, we should shun all this kind of idea or thinking about God. God is in no way deficient. You understand that? God has no needs. God is, in, God is not deficient. There's this kind of a popular idea, well, God made man because God needed fellowship, because God needed relationship, because God needed praise. No, no, God doesn't need anything. God had perfect relationship with himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all serving one another in perfect relationship with one another. In fact, what is it that calls Jesus on the cross to cry out to the Father and say, why have you forsaken me? What was that cry from, from Calvary's Hill? It was when the Father turns his back and the sky goes black and he turns on him and he says, I, I, this sin is fractured, this eternal relationship. What it causes Jesus to cry out? Broken relationship, broken fellowship with God. God has no needs. Oh yeah, well you, you just told us, Pastor, that we need to be faithful in our giving. I mean, God obviously has to have our money. No, 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 no. God does not need your money. How many of you realize, like, if God needs my $22.10, then he has bigger problems, right? No, God doesn't need my money. I need to give. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills that they eat on. He made those hills. He causes it to grow. He sustains all of life. By him, all things consist. The world stops spinning. If God pulls his hand out of the equation, God is in no way deficient. Oh, but man, if I have this little idol and he needs me to bring him meat and he needs me to bring him rice, well then now that's a selfish reason to want an idol. Man, it was guaranteed. It was selfish. Think about this. It was easy. Man, you could come to your little idol. You could present whatever sacrifice it is that your idol or your God wanted, and there was very little as way of, of ethical standards or of any type of personal sacrifice or anything like that. In fact, the Canaanites had no moral code whatsoever. The, the good Canaanites had absolutely no moral code whatsoever. The bad Canaanites, those are called the Ninevites, right? The awful, atrocious, evil deeds that they had done all throughout history. So all you have to do, it's easy. It's easy to worship the little idol. You just show up, make your sacrifice. You have a guaranteed formula. It makes you feel good because this little God needs you. You can feed this God. Now he has to do what you say. It was easy. Uh, number four, are you with me? Are you with me so far? Okay, number four, it was, it was convenient. I mean, just take this little God wherever you go. You just stick him in your pocket. You can wear him around your neck. Whenever you go to battle, you just sit him out in front of you, right? It's very convenient. You could franchise your little God. 
can, you can make little trinkets. You can sell them. Man, now you can make a little bit of money back off of him. Because now, man, now it's, now it's marketable. You get a little trademark. Now it's marketable. And somehow you now own the God of the sun. And now you can, you can buy the little God statue for 99 cents plus tax and shipping and handling. And you can own this God. You can take him wherever you go. It's very, it's very convenient. And make it as easy as possible to fulfill your little ritual du duties to this God. Man, it's guaranteed. It's selfish. It's easy. It's convenient. Number five, that's what I wrote down. I came up with five. You could probably come up with five others. Why choose an idol over the living God of the universe? Well, it's guaranteed. It's selfish. It's easy. It's convenient. Number five, it was normal. It was normal. This is what all the other this is what all the other peoples did. This, this is what all the other countries did. This is what all the other religions did. They had their little idols that they worshipped, and everybody else has got this little statue that they can carry with them, and they can franchise, and they got this little god that they can carry around with them in their pocket. And it's simple, it's easy. You say your formula, you do your routine, you give a bowl of rice, and then you move along. And it was very, very normal. Well, those are the reasons that I came up with. How many of you, you could come up with one or two more beyond what I've got? You've already thought of a few reasons why an idol would be a convenient thing to have, right? Idolatry, idolatry extends far beyond a wooden statue. Idolatry extends far beyond that. In fact, idolatry begins in the heart. Idolatry begins with a heart's desire. Now, something that's a desire, that's a heart's desire, is not something that's inherently wicked. It's not something that's wrong. We have all kinds of desires. You have desires for your life. I have desires for my life. May have a desire to have a nice house. May have a desire to have a nice car. Have a desire for our kids to be safe. We have a desire for our kids to excel. We have a desire for uh, have money in the bank. We have a desire to make sure our kids get a good education. There's nothing inherently wrong with desires. Nothing in inherently evil or wicked about the desires that we have. It's not wrong to want a nice, a nice house. It's not, it's not sinful to want money in the bank. It's not wicked to want your kids to excel. But, but think about it. Think about a desire as having something in your hand with an open palm. God, this is, this is something I want. It, this, is, this is something I desire. Maybe it's even something I have. It's a desire that I want. Idolatry is a desire, not about something that's inherently wicked or wrong, but idolatry, instead of having the open palm, has the closed hand. And idolatry says this is now non-negotiable. This is non-negotiable. So God, I'll, I'll serve you as long as I get this. And God, I'll serve you as long as I have that. And God, I'll follow you and I'll believe you and I'll worship you as long as my kids always, or whatever, whatever it is for you. God, I'll serve you. Idolatry is, look here, idolatry is closed hand. This now 
becomes a non-negotiable in my life. It's not just a desire. This is a nice, honey-crisp apple. Amanda said, what are you going to do with the apple? I said, I don't know, maybe, a, maybe it'll be a longer sermon. I would just want to pull over, take a break, eat the apple, move along, right? Nothing, nothing inherently wrong with it. Nothing wicked or evil about it. Until you close your hand around it and say, okay, God, I'll serve you, but you can't touch this. And this happens all the time. Okay, God, I'll serve you, and I'll follow you, as long as my kids do this. And the minute God says, uh, 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 those kids don't belong to you. They belong to me. You're a steward. They were, they were arrows in your hand for just a moment. No, no, I want, I want him to serve me in the third world country as a missionary. Uh-uh, uh nope. Hand closed. Because my kid has a professional career as a soccer player. So hands off. Hands off. You can't have that. You can't call that shot. You don't get to be that God to him. Now, and I'll serve you, and I'll come to church, and I'll give in the offering, and I'll sing in the choir, but you don't get to, you don't get to call my kid to do that, right? Watch me. You don't, you, don't get to, you don't get to call my kid to do that. Now, all of a sudden, that's become a non-negotiable. Are you tracking me? You do the same thing with money. You do the same thing with money. Okay, God, I'll serve you as long as you... As long as you bless me at work, as long as the economy is good, I'll serve you, I'll follow you, just as long as you give me all the money I need. Then, and then God shows up and says, guess what? Pastor wants to build a $53 million auditorium. And you have $53 million in your bank, so give it to Pastor. Amen, somebody. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm content to go to church. I'm content to, you know, drop my little tie then. But you don't, God, you're, you're not in charge of my savings account. Closed hand, non-negotiable. You don't get to have that. You don't get to have that. Okay, God, I'll serve you as long as my health is okay. I'll serve you and I'll follow you as long as I have good health and long life. And then you get the diagnosis you didn't want. And you close the fist. No, 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 that's, that's non-negotiable, God. No, you can't have that. You can't have him. You can't have them. You can't take this. You, and immediately what we've done is we've reduced the living God of the universe to an idol, and we've closed our fist, and we've said that you can't. Shun idolatry. Sometimes this is the reason why we stay away from the Lord, isn't it? Sometimes, the, sometimes this is the reason why when we want to, I should, and maybe I, and I know there's a need to, and I know I ought to, and I know that there's an opportunity, and I know I, for some of us, it's been a really long time since we've done this. Okay, Lord, whatever you want. And my children, are they're yours. And my health is yours. And my future is yours. 
And listen, here, look, at, look right here. For, for some of us in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about because your heart is beating out of your chest right now. And you know the exact area that the Lord's going. You've taken your hand and you've closed it. And you say, you can't have that, God. You can't have that. You don't get to have that. And the minute you closed your hand, you became an idol worshiper. Oh, may God help us to have the courage to shun idolatry. You're God and I'm not. And God, whatever you want to do in my life, you can. I'm not saying that's easy. Look here, I'm not saying that's easy. Gabriel turned 17 last Friday. That's scary. Can I get an amen and an amen on that point? Okay. That's a, how many of you know that's a constant battle every day to open your hand and go, okay, God, Gabriel's yours, not mine. I mean, I got some stuff I'd love to see that boy do, but God, he belongs to you. He doesn't belong to me. Ethan, he belongs to you, not me. Thank the Lord Ethan belongs to you. I am taking any of that blame. Elena is yours. Jesse belongs to you. And man, I, man and I celebrate 19 years this coming June. I'm happy for that. And I hope I get 90 more with that girl. But she's yours, she's not mine. Are, are you tracking me? And I, man, God's got a great house, wonderful. But it's yours, God, whatever you want to do with it. You know, it's up to you. And the minute you close your hand around that, that's become an idol to you. And watch, watch. Now that thing that's a non-negotiable, that calls all the shots in your life. So, so, my, so my kids' future in soccer calls all the shots. I can't come to church this week, Pastor, because, I mean, he's got a big game coming up with those other seven-year-olds. I just... I just wish I had more time for church. I just, I can't because I got to get over to this practice. I got to drop off at this thing. And I, I mean, I, I just wish I had more resources to give to the church. But you know what it's like. I mean, I got to buy another pair of cleats and another pair of shin guards and another pair of hamburger helper gloves. You know what I got to do? I mean, it's just, and now all of a sudden, what happens? I start serving that. I start giving to that. I start living. Are you, are you following me? And that becomes what calls all the shots. That gets all of my attention. That gets all my resource. That gets all of my energy. And I'm in church on Sunday night like this. And I'm at the soccer game on Sunday morning like this. Wait, what's the song they sing? That song? Oh, right? Should do that at church sometimes. And my hand closes around it. Let me ask you a very personal question tonight. This is it, we're done. What's off limits to God in your life? 
What, what can God not have? Be careful how you answer that. What if you closed your hand around and said, no, no, you can have anything, you can have any area, but you can't have that area. That's off limits. What tonight do you need to say, Lord, it, it's a good desire. It's not wicked. It's not sinful. It's not wrong. It's not inherently evil. But those kids don't belong to me. They belong to you. So, that money doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. So whatever you want to do, you tell me. And that job, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. So, And if you can get yourself to a place to make that decision tonight, guess what decision you'll have to make tomorrow? The same one. Because, oh man, how badly we want to close our hand right over it. Oh, again and again and again, right? Last one, number three. How do we live this out right now? Turn to Christ uniquely. How do we fulfill the, ten, how do we fulfill the first commandment of ten today? I think, I think four ways. You got them in your list, ready? By adoration, by trust, by thanksgiving, and by service. I don't have time to go through all those tonight. I think, I think they're probably clear. How do, we, how do we turn to Christ uniquely? Adoration, trust, thanksgiving, service. Adoration, that's our worship and praise of him, reminding ourselves he's God and he's God alone and we're not. Man, our trust, okay, Lord, I trust you. You know what's best in this situation. You know more than I do. You see farther than I do. You're more infinite than I am. You have more wisdom than I do. So I trust you that if this is, this is, this is what you're doing in my life, this is, this is what you want, then I'm okay with that. I trust you. I follow you. Thanksgiving, when the heart that's full of gratitude is the heart that is not grumbling. The heart that is grumbling is the heart that is not full of gratitude. Those two things can't coexist in the same heart. Right? So where my heart is thankful to the Lord for all that God has allowed us to do, for all that God has allowed me to be a part of, for all that God is doing in my life. Lord, thank you so much for all you've done. If I don't get another day in this life, man, he's given me far more than I deserved. How many of you agree with that? So there's that spirit of thanksgiving, and then there's that life of service. But Lord, if you choose to give me tomorrow, I want to live for you. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Lord, whatever is out for me tomorrow, may I live my life in service to you.